Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. It's Thursday, July 29th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. Missouri's attorney general is seeking a temporary restraining order in a lawsuit against the renewed mask mandate in St. Louis County. The legal filing by Eric Schmidt comes hours after County Executive Sam Page stated the restriction remains, even though the county council voted to overturn the mandate. Schmidt says, quote, County Executive Page is wrong in thinking he can enforce the face covering requirement. Page has maintained the restriction does not violate state law because it does not affect the opening and closing of businesses. That legal challenge to St. Louis County's face covering mandate is leaving many businesses in limbo. As St. Louis Public Radio's Kendall Crawford reports, some business owners are not sure what to tell customers. In downtown Clayton, the shop Sweet Boutique has been hit hard by the pandemic. The owner, Kristen Held, says regardless of whether the mask mandate is upheld or not, the continual rise in cases will affect business. We don't want to pass the virus to anyone. We don't want to get the virus ourselves. We get it. So there's no good answer. I mean, we just we don't know how to continue to run a business in this pandemic that never seems to end. Across the county in Kirkwood, owner of Sammy Soaps, Karen Copeland, says they're continuing to comply with the mask mandates. Until public health officials say it's safe again, Copeland says that won't be stopping anytime soon. I'm Kendall Crawford, St. Louis Public Radio. St. Louis County's acting health director says he gave someone the middle finger after being subjected to, quote, racist, xenophobic, and threatening behavior during Tuesday's county council meeting. That meeting focused on the county's renewed mask mandate. Faisal Khan says the taunts are among the worst he's experienced in his career. In a letter to Council Chair Ritta Days, he describes Councilmember Tim Fitch as the crowd's leader. He says he was surrounded by a group that physically assaulted him and used racial slurs. That's when Khan, quote, expressed my displeasure by raising his middle finger at one person. Khan is asking Days to investigate and take steps to prevent similar situations. Pockets of Missouri with low COVID-19 vaccination rates are making the state a national hotspot for coronavirus outbreaks. Those rates are as low as 12 percent in some rural parts of the state. Washington University researchers suggest public officials need to adjust their educational strategies to reach people in those areas. Beth Prusasek is one of those researchers. She says enlisting community leaders, not doctors, to educate people about the safety and effectiveness of the vaccine could help increase vaccination rates. Every single shot in an arm is a win, and we have to just keep trying as long as it takes. She made the comments on St. Louis on the Air. Prusasic also recommends using mobile clinics in rural areas and making it easy for residents to have questions answered online. Illinois lawmakers are still mulling whether to get rid of, replace, or contextualize statues and monuments on state property. Hannah Meisel has more. Re-examining old statues and monuments is a conversation happening across the U.S. It was sparked by the movement to tear down Confederate monuments as Americans grapple with the nation's ugly history of slavery and racist policies, but has shifted into re-evaluating other historical figures. 
Lawmakers on Wednesday heard from Aaron Bryant, a curator at the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. Bryant says there are many ways to recontextualize statues and monuments of problematic figures without tearing them down. I don't think that we should throw away history just simply because we don't like it. Last summer, statues of Abraham Lincoln's rival, Stephen A. Douglas, and Illinois' first lieutenant governor, Pierre Menard, were removed from Capitol grounds in Springfield. Both were slave owners. I'm Hannah Meisel. The Midwest is known for corn, wheat, and soybeans. But lavender? Maybe not so much. Rachel Schnelli of Harvest Public Media has the story of one couple who decided to give it a try. Katie Lockwood and her husband both work for the IT department for the UM System Colleges, but were also hobby farmers for 20 years. So when they moved to Centralia in 2011 and had a small plot of land beside their house, they weren't sure what to do. For Katie, it was simple. She'd always wanted to try and grow lavender, but as they quickly realized, it was a different kind of crop than they were used to. Here in Missouri, it is rather difficult to grow lavender. So we did a lot of research before we planted our first plant, worked very closely with MU Extension because they do soil analysis and make recommendations around how you can improve your pH levels and texture and so on to make it more suitable for growing lavender. They also got help from people outside the state as they realized lavender is not a native Missouri crop. Kelly McGowan is a field specialist in horticulture for MUA Extension. She says she knows the Lockwoods, but realized there wasn't a lot of data about what it looked like to successfully grow the crop in Missouri, which is very different from the plant's Mediterranean origins. She says in a lot of ways, Missouri couldn't be more different. Instead of arid, dry climate, Missouri is wet, muggy, and sometimes has harsh winters. She started a series of small lavender farms across the state. Through this and conversations with people like the Lockwoods, they hope to figure out how to make the crop viable for small farmers. Diversifying, growing lots of different things is sometimes helpful. And, um, you know, including lavender in that is is really my goal. I want people to not be afraid of growing it. You can make pretty good money off of it. You know, it it um, it isn't cheap to go to a lavender farm and pick lavender or buy products or essential oils. So I just want to see our, our farmers be successful with it. McGowan says the great thing about lavender is the variety both in products, from coffee to cocktails to essential oils and soaps to the crop itself. At first glance, all the Lockwood's rows of lavenders look exactly the same. But as you get closer, you realize their differences in colors. And while there are 14 varieties at the farm, there are more than 450 in the world. There's actually more than that, but those are the ones that have names. So we actually don't grow from seed because lavender cross-pollinates really easily, and it's hard to get the true strain. You're not necessarily going to get the same plant with the same scent or the same oil content or the same color and so on. Katie's idea for a lavender farm began in 2016, and the first planting was in 2018. They planned to open a U-Pick season for customers in 2020, but because of the COVID-19 pandemic, this is the first year they've offered it. They began this year's season at the beginning of April and are open daily from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., as well as 10 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. on Fridays. Surrounded by fields of lavender with bees buzzing and birds chirping, Katie and her husband welcome people to the lavender farm. And they say bringing people to rural Missouri was one of the reasons they started this business in the first place. 
we felt like it was a, a good choice for us and would be fun to bring to the community, a fun thing to bring people out to an area maybe of Missouri that people don't tend to visit very often. They could learn more about the battlefield nearby and see some of the historical places even in town and just introduce people to an area they might not normally come. Mm -hmm. While their U-Pick season ends with the summer, Katie said their business doesn't stop there. They plan to be at the Columbia Farmers Market and to sell their lavender merchandise all year long. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Rachel Schnelli. Harvest Public Media covers agriculture in the Midwest. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. This has been The Gateway. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.